Welcome Hawks fans, thank you for joining us and let the battle for the board commence. Ahead of the AGM this December, members will cast their votes to determine not only the next president of the Hawthorne Football Club, but which three candidates will make the board. This edition of the podcast features our chat with Katie Hudson, who is seeking re-election. And we'll be tackling all the big issues with her right here on the Hawk Talk podcast. My name is Nick Mason, and welcome as always to my co-host, G'day Tiz. G'day mate, Uh, five candidates doesn't go into three positions, and... That's exactly my portfolio on this podcast. Uh, it's uh, it's as dry as all the finance, and uh, you'll notice that it's it's not the normal tiz. <laughs> <laughs> I might have had a bit of a role in that. You've just always had the head for this stuff more than me, so I might have deferred to you on a couple of occasions. Your card's punched, buddy. You're coming to the AGM this year, all right? I want to come to the AGM. Of all the AGMs to go to, this is the one. You'd have to agree. This is a, this is a very enjoyable interview it was indeed and does shed some light on some very important issues uh, regarding finances for one but also i quite enjoyed talking about the aflw side of things too which katie is very very closely involved with so yeah lots to be gained from this chat with katie hudson very interesting very insightful enjoy Our special guest today, she joins the board of directors back in 2019 and she's been good enough to join us today as she looks to secure the members' vote to continue serving the Hawthorne Football Club. Thanks for joining us, Katie Hudson. Hi, Nick and Tiz. Thank you so much for having me. Always great to talk to really special Hawthorne people. So I, I thought we'd begin with uh, how you came to love the Hawthorne Footy Club. We know your dad was a member of the first premiership in 1961 wearing the 29 Reg Pool. And, uh, you know, he paid back pocket. And I think I remember from watching the recordings, he had a bit of a tete-a-tete with Teddy Whitten on the day. But uh, how, did, how did you come to love Hawthorne? Yeah, well, as you say, it was in my blood from the very first day. So uh, I can't even remember uh, a conscious decision because my family was always Hawthorne. And uh, I just grew up always with a deep love of the club. Uh, you know, we used to go, it was a special thing that, that my dad and my brother and I did together, I was always going to the football, uh, Saturday nights watching watching the Hawks at home uh, on TV. And uh, yeah, it was always just a very, a very important part of our lives. I think that's something that unites us all, that sacred ritual of uh, joining with family and, and connecting in, in our love of the Hawthorne Football Club. Although you famously had a choice, Nick, and you chose well. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, uh, long-time listeners of the podcast will know that I was raised a Hawthorne fan and I was tempted to the dark side from my mum's side of the family and I would ultimately reject Essendon fandom uh, as a result of the 2001 preliminary final. That was uh, a deep hurt in my heart when Hawthorne lost that game and that was it. Absolutely. So there was no choice in our house. It was always just Hawthorne. And then 
when I was pregnant with our first child, I joined him up before he was born. Uh, so his, his, his first membership name was M, like as an embryo Hudson. And uh, I, had to ring, I had to ring them up two months later to say that it was actually a boy and he had a different birth date than the one I'd originally registered him with. So uh, there was no choice for the children in my family either. And uh, I also married a Hawthorne supporter. So there's no, complex, there's no complexity and there's no, there's no decision making. We're just Hawthorne through and through. And with the surname Hudson, that is commitment to the cause. Uh, talk about the family club. Yes. Well, of course, as you say, um, Peter Hudson is not my father, although uh, Peter and I do have a bit of a running joke. Um, for many years, we've been joking that he is my father. And uh, although recently he did say to me that we need to start saying older brother, which I took to mean that I was aging faster than he was. <laughs> anyway, your dad is part of a legendary side, the, uh, the Kennedy Commandos. That's right. Well, he was just so incredibly lucky. Uh, really, it was his first year playing uh, for the Hawks and was very fortunate to be part of that amazing team. Uh, he um, obviously, as you say, had a bit of an altercation. And I remember, uh, I remember him telling me later that after the game, John Kennedy, who never famously never gave anyone feedback, sort of gave him a bit of a nudge and a wink after the game as if to say, well done, um, because he cleaned somebody up. Uh, he, tells me, he tells me it was an accident. Uh, but I think John Kenny thought it was was legitimate, and uh, he was pretty proud of the boys for doing that. So, uh, yeah, it was you know Hawthorne was an early memory for me. I remember going to the footy, and because Dad had played for Hawthorne, we used to go down to the change rooms after the game. Uh, in those days, uh, the change rooms weren't separated, and only the boys could go into the change rooms. So they used to say to me, "Just put the hood on your parka." And uh, no one will know that you're a girl. So we'd go into the change rooms and no one would actually realise that I was a girl until one day they actually did realise I was a girl and they kicked me out. And uh, I remember sitting, actually, I remember this so well. I remember sitting outside the change rooms thinking, this is really average. Um, and uh, John Scott came out and he stopped to have a chat to me. And uh, I reminded him of that story recently, actually, when he and I were sitting on the nominations committee for the president recently. And uh, he said that means I was probably the only person he was nice to in the 70s. <laughs> so, um, oh, he's a great character, Don. He is a great character. Bit of behind the scenes there. Uh, staying with behind the scenes stuff, Katie. Um, we know that the Hawthorne Board is a skills-based organisation. Uh, was your portfolio defined when you applied to join the board? And what sorts of responsibilities have you had over the journey so far? Yeah, so I've got two pretty pretty critical roles. Um, the first one and the reason why I was asked to join the board was my finance and investment expertise. So I chair the finance committee. Uh, I've had a really, really big role in, in really over the last few years in, in terms of um, steering, you know, the finance um, element through a pretty tough time during COVID. Uh, uh, helping with the, you know, we really formulated the strategy to exit gaming and selling the gaming assets has been a big part of what we've done. Uh, and then, of course, more recently, the funding strategy for the Kennedy Centre has a big part of uh, of the work that we've done as part of the finance team. So, uh, yes, absolutely, that was the skill that I had that uh, led me to come onto the board. Uh, the other thing I've done more recently, which has really been on the back of uh, strong advocacy and, and a genuine love and passion from my perspective, has been chairing the AFLW uh, football committee. Uh, so I am on the board, the AFLW person. I love AFLW. I've got a great relationship with Beck. Um, I love the girls. It's an absolute joy to be part of that. Uh, and so I now wear two hats within the board. Um, I'm the sort of key AFLW advocate. 
uh, and I also obviously had that ongoing finance role. So it's a lot, um, but but it's but they're both things that I think I've got both um, expertise in and a genuine passion for. Before we move on to, Tiz has got a question about the finances. I was thinking just before, thinking all things Hawthorne and getting ready ready for this interview, because um, we've got our season recap coming up. We have to start thinking about you know what have it, what have been our high points of the year and um, a couple that came to mind. First and foremost, despite having a shorter season, of course, than the men's, um, Sophie Locke, her goal uh, was tremendously emotional and touching, and shed a tear that evening in the crowd. And um, the win against the Swans, the inaugural win, it just, what a moment. Uh, it was incredible. So I imagine you feel equally, uh, Katie, that those moments really stick out to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. That was such a tough time for Soph, those few weeks before that first game, losing her mum. She was incredible. She didn't miss training. Uh, she was just totally committed. Um, the, the players rallied around her. Um, the club rallied around her. Uh, and then, as you say, for her to kick that first goal, yes, we were all in tears. I'm actually tearing up now just talking about it. Uh, and then that win against the Swans at Punt Road. Yep, I was standing there as they all came off screaming and yelling. Um, the other male directors who were there were laughing at me because I was pretty hysterically excited. Um, but the other really important moment for me, actually, which I went to is the first training session um, out at Box Hill. So the very first training session, I was there by myself. I was standing in the dark. Beck had said she didn't want any distractions, so I was on the boundary. Um, and I, I've got a photo of that day, and I sent it to Beck the other day uh, just to say, wow, how far have we come in such a short time? Uh, so that was actually the other the other big moment for me, which won't mean a lot to to most members, but standing on the on the sidelines of that very first training night was bucketing down with rain. Um, but I, as I said, I got a photo from that night, and that's you know one of my other special memories. Well, now there's some drier points, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit of a hospital handbath to you, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, how are we looking as a club after the COVID period? Because um, going into it, we had some enormous ambitions, and we've managed to sell off the gaming venues, which uh, I think every one of the club is, is glad to have done. And that'll hit the bottom line and look great. Um, but in terms of revenue and things like that, perhaps it's a little more challenging. Yeah, so COVID was definitely a tough time for the AFL industry. And uh, we were incredibly fortunate that our partners and our members stood by us. I remember the first budget we did uh, when COVID first hit, we thought we were going to lose $10 million. And uh we ended up pretty much breaking even that year because the members stood by us and the partners stood by us and we can't thank them enough for the support they showed us through that time. So one of the things we, we did actually during COVID was we put together a rally and rise strategy because we wanted to come out of COVID really strong. And I remember talking to Justin Reeves about this, that there's studies that have been done um, that show that you can gain competitive advantage in the way you come out of a crisis. Uh, and so we really, that's why we called it rally and rise because we wanted to, rally you know rally the, the organization rally the members and rise out of this challenging time in really good shape so one of the things we did was really think about the profitability of the football club and we really took the opportunity to um, improve coming out of COVID the profitability of the football club so that it could stand on its own two feet uh, and that's what we did and you see evidence of that today in the results that we're reporting uh, where we've reported a positive surplus for the football club without all the investments. Uh, and what that's meant we've been able to do is sell the gaming assets for a really great price, but not threaten the ongoing viability of the club. 
So that's been a really important piece, getting the football club to stand on its own two feet from a profit perspective. Uh, and then that's allowed us to sell gaming. Uh, and going forward, what that will obviously allow us to do is invest a big chunk of that into the Kennedy Centre uh, and then an element into developing a future fund, which will really make sure we can, as you say, replace some of that revenue uh, and make sure we continue the, the independence and financial strength that we all uh, know is very important these days in AFL. A lot goes into a calendar year, Katie. I think at the forefront of members' minds, when we look at the past year, one of the most significant things was obviously the the appointment of Sam Mitchell and embarking on that new era. But of course, so much besides that happens behind the scenes. I just wanted to get your insight, thinking about the last year, what sorts of things would the club chalk up as a success? And what are some things that, you know, might need further attention? Yeah, so there's two really big things that I think we've done in the last 12 months, and that's put in place for both our men's and our women's programs, really clear football strategies. So both programs have got clear strategies, um, they're clearly articulated, they've been agreed right through management and to the board, and we're all completely aligned about what we're trying to achieve and the timeframes we're trying to do it against. And I think we've seen early evidence of that. You know, Sam and that really exciting game plan that I think members really enjoyed watching this year. Uh, and Beck has done a, an equally fantastic job from a starting from really what, no players 10 weeks before we hit the ground running with a game uh, to now having created an amazing culture to winning games to just missing out on a couple of others as well. Uh, I think we've seen early evidence that those strategies are, are in the heading in the right direction. Uh, and so that from that perspective, they're probably the two most important things. But, you know, we've talked about selling gaming. Um, I think that's hugely important. You know, for me, that was one of the key things that I wanted to do as part of the board was uh, find a way to make us financially strong, uh, um, but also exit gaming. Uh, and then the other really important thing is getting in place a funding strategy for the Kennedy Centre, because that's a, just a huge part of how we go forward. Uh, you know, the Kennedy Centre is all about obviously having an elite men's training facility. It's a home ground for the AFLW uh, team, which they don't have at the moment. But most important for me is it's a place where the Hawthorne family can connect and have that physical uh, connection with the club that I think has been missing through COVID and that we're all longing to, we're all longing to uh, reignite. It seems like it's... Uh... A little poorly timed to be moving and building right at this moment economically. Um, inflationary pressures, interest rates, our crowds are uh, lowering. Although we've got uh, 81,000, which is an all-time record membership, and our largest sponsor is is sort of waning. So um, they'll be they'll be jumping off board. But gee, that net surplus of 35 million looks pretty good when you look at it. <laughs> <laughs> it should be all right to to get uh, to get the Kennedy Centre up and going, shouldn't it? Yeah, I think you should feel proud of the way the clubs um, worked on achieving that number this year. Obviously, a big part of that is selling the venues, um, but that's really been an important strategic priority for us. The next stage is obviously investing it. Um, but just just in terms of your point about is this the right time? So our crowds have actually been up this year. I know the AFL as an industry has seen crowds down, but our crowds were up this year. Um, and our partnership uh, book is is full to overflowing. You know, we've got a really, really strong partnership program. Um, you know, there's going to be a path forward with Tassie, and I'm really confident that they'll continue to be an important partner for us going forward. Uh, and we've obviously done a lot of work thinking about how that looks longer term, uh, and we've got some plans in place around that. Um, but we're really confident. You know, we've, we've done the work, um, we've got the building blocks, and, uh, you know, 
part of my role as, as head of the finance committee is making sure that we've got the right financial um, foundations in place to make sure we can go forward with that project. And we don't have to pay out Alistair Clarkson next year either. No, that's correct. Yeah, absolutely. I was wondering, Katie, speaking of Alistair Clarkson, if we could get some behind-the-scenes insight on, on that particular topic. I think in the present day, I think Sam Mitchell has our full support and members are, are wholeheartedly behind him. I think there are some misgivings around how it actually happened. Um, was it too audacious a plan? Did the board overreach in terms of their ambition to try and do this succession plan? Or how do you reflect on that now? Yeah, I think it's um, it's great, Nick, that you're reflecting that Sam's doing a great job and the members have got his support. I, I wholeheartedly support that. And that's certainly all the feedback that we've received. Um, you you know, I think with the benefit of hindsight, uh, these transitions are always difficult. In fact, uh, I was talking to a, a senior coach recently and they said there's actually very few examples of where transitions have done successfully, but the only one you can think of that was done well was when Lee Matthews left Brisbane after that really big successful era. But Lee Matthews actually made the decision to leave. So that's a different dynamic. So look, there's no question um, that it, it, it wasn't executed in the way we would have hoped. Um, you know, Alistair was an amazing servant of the club. You know, the contribution that he made was incredible, legendary, uh, and we're, you know, we'll be forever grateful to him uh, for that. Um, you know, there's always time, uh, you know, there always comes a time in transitions where it's, it's time for the next stage. Um, you know, and I think we've moved on to that. Uh, could we have done it better? Absolutely. And it also meant that we couldn't pay a full cap out of the football budget. Is that right? Well, actually, that's not right. We did pay the full soft cap this year and uh, Sam got every dollar of, of that soft cap available to him. In fact, Sam asked for an extra coach uh, and he was given that. So there was absolutely no compromise to the soft cap or the football program this year. How, how did we manage that? Oh, that's the secret sauce, it is. Um, <laughs> but you should feel very confident uh, that, that Sam's football program was not compromised and that we paid the full soft cap. Uh, as we have with the AFLW, by the way, um, it was interesting. I was talking with, uh, with, the, with some people from AFL uh, House recently, and I understand that a number of the clubs are not paying up to their full AFLW soft cap, uh, you know, for a whole range of reasons, often financial. Uh, and, you know, I think it's really important for the, that the members know that um, Hawthorne's super committed to our FLW and we are paying uh, every cent of that FLW soft cap. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just as committed to the women's program as we are the men's. Now, I was speaking about economically poor timing, but this challenge to the board seems poor timing as we have all our female board members up for re-election right at this moment. And we we could meet a situation where we don't have any female presence on the board and it becomes a bit of a men's club again. Um, how important is it to avoid that kind of result, um, especially now that we've got an AFLW side that's looking for um, leadership at the very top of Hawthorne? Yeah, it is. That's a big issue. Uh, we've got 50% of our players are now women, 50% uh, of our members are women, and we want the board to reflect that you know, that diversity of the club. Uh, and so, as you say, there's, uh, you know, the only external candidates that keep being put up are men. Uh, and the two two of the candidates who are being put up and supported by the board are, are women. So, as you say, unless the women get the support, 
uh, there's a good chance we go to to uh, you know only one woman on the board and eight men. Uh, and that would be a, you know, really, that feels like a throwback to the 1960s when my dad was playing for Hawthorne, doesn't it? Um, and I, I don't think we want to go back to that. So, yeah, I think it's really important. But the other point is diversity is absolutely important on any board. Um, but the other thing to call out is the skills base. And we talked about this a bit earlier, but, uh, you know, I, my finance and investment skills, there's no one else on the board and there's no one else who is up for election that has those skills. So just as important as diversity is the fact that the skills I have at a time when we're about to spend $100 million on the Kennedy Centre, uh, about to launch a future fund, uh, you know, wanting to keep the club strong, um, you know, aren't actually accessible with any other candidate. Um, so it's as much about uh, diversity as it is about having the right skills, um, as it is with Anne-Marie, who's got a medical um, background, and Maria Louie, who's got a, a, a legal background. Um, we're not just diversity candidates, but we're also uh, women with very strong professional expertise that uh, is an important part of the mix of how we go forward as a club. Now, in recent days, we've seen some board hopefuls align themselves with Andy Gowers. Are you yourself throwing support behind one of the two presidential candidates? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm fully supportive of Peter Nankerville. Uh, you know, I've been a board colleague of his for nearly four years and, uh, yeah, completely supportive of Peter. Peter is um, a very different style of leader to Jeff. Uh, Peter is uh, a good listener. Uh, he's inclusive. Uh, he uh, knows how to get the best out of a team and he's got a very strong team around him. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really important to understand um, Jeff was last year's story. Uh, this year's story is about a new style of leader uh, and new leadership to go forward. I want to talk about the makeup of that behind the scenes personnel at the club. Now, the Hawks for Change camp, they argue that there was a lack of transparency around nominations for the board uh, with, the, with Hawthorne community as a whole. Um, to what extent do you accept or refute that suggestion? Yeah, Nick, I, in my day job, I spend a lot of time with public company boards. And so I know what good governance looks like. And this year, we've actually done a lot of work to strengthen the governance around the nominations processes. Uh, we had a nominations committee, which I was a part of with Andy Gowers, which uh, went through a process for the presidential role. Uh, we also had a nominations committee, which Ian Silk chaired, uh, which went through a process for the new directors. Uh, and that process is super transparent. It was advertised on the club's website. It was open to any member to apply. Uh, and a number of really great members did apply. Uh, and a number of people went through an interview process uh, with a conclusion that uh, recommendation for Maria Louie to be supported for the, the board nomination. So it was a really transparent process. Uh, Anne Silk did a great job. Uh, as I said, it was any member could have applied, uh, any of the candidates who are running to that, you know, now could have applied if they wanted to. They chose not to, they've, they've come through a different route. Uh, but there was a, a completely transparent and really strong um, governance process. Speaking to both presidential candidates, there's a shared desire for greater connection with members. Do you feel that's languished in recent years, given now, especially, it's very much a hot topic ahead of this election? Yeah, I think I think everybody's feeling that coming out of COVID, the lack of physical connection and social media helped us to some extent through that time. But I think everybody's craving physical connection again. And, you know, part of the logic for the Kennedy Centre is providing a place where we can physically connect again. 
I mean, my kids have grown up going to Glenfrey Oval and having family days, and we really want to get back to that. Uh, the problem has been logistics of that. So that's why the Kennedy Centre is going to be a really important part of that physical connection with members again, uh, a home where everybody can go. So it's going to be a great place for the players to play, a home ground for the AFLW. But most importantly, it's going to be a place where the Hawthorne members can feel that sense of connection and we can fire up those family days again. <laughs> Do you just want to take a moment to um, tell us why you seek re-election? Yeah, so I think, um, so So we haven't talked about, you know, why I joined the board and if it's okay, I'd like to sort of, you know, talk about that for a moment. So when I was first asked to join the board, I actually said, no, look, I wanted to do something with purpose and uh, I couldn't quite get that the whole football club thing would be purpose despite my, you know, deep love for the club. And that weekend I went to the went to a game and I was I just sat and watched the members and the supporters for a quarter. No, that's a really odd thing to do when you're at the footy. I think we've been I think we've been beaten by Richmond actually. Um, and I just sat and watched the watched the supporters and I, I highly recommend it. It really was a very profound moment for me because it made me realise just how important keeping this club safe and strong is for the members. Uh, and the supporters. Um, and so that really was a moment where I thought, actually, this is quite a this is quite an important role, um, you know, fulfilling that that sort of promise to to keep the club strong and safe for those members. So um, that's that was really the moment when I, I decided that joining the board um, would be a, a good idea. Um, and in terms of my my particular role, you know, I've talked already about um, uh, the fact that I've got expertise that doesn't exist in other parts of the board or people who are being nominated. Uh, you know, I've got a really big, really big job over the next uh, couple of years to get, you know, help get that Kennedy Centre, you know, delivered with the right funding, um, with the right outcome. We don't want to have debt at the end of that. Um, we think that's really important for football clubs to not have debt. Uh, so there's a big piece of work that I need to do. There's also a big piece of work that's unfinished for me, having sold gaming, to now put in place the the, the right investment strategy uh, for the club going forward. So setting up that future fund is another big job I've got over the next uh, 12 months, together with the, the guys at the club. Uh, and, uh, and of course, the AFLW. Um, if you've only got one woman on the board, you better hope she's the AFLW advocate, uh, because, <laughs> because you, you know, Beck, Beck, uh, you know, Beck and the, the football department, you know, need that support at board level to make sure we continue to invest, uh, to make sure we, you know, we continue to deliver a really strong AFLW program because we've got big ambitions for that AFLW program. That's really interesting insight for our listeners. Um, and just on one point you mentioned, uh, we're considering going to the Magic Round next year, Tiz and I. That, that might be our interstate trip for next year. And I know I'll be watching the crowd too, but that's more a matter for my own safety, being an Adelaide crowd. You just, ah, uh, oh, come on, I had to get one in there. Our former coach had to have a crack, if you remember. You just, that was on the street. Oh, that's right. That was great. On the bridge, wasn't it? I think so. You've got to watch out. The mean streets of Adelaide. <laughs> and I guess we have to turn our attention to, if you aren't re-elected to the board, how does your relationship continue with the club? Well, I think I've got uh, an AFLW membership. I've got a cheer squad membership. I've got a VFLW membership. Um, so I only get to vote once, by the way, just to be clear. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm a, a, a big Hawthorne person. I will continue to support the club, no problems. Um, and, uh, you know, it would obviously be disappointing because there's a lot, of, a lot of work to do. Um, and But I'll obviously still be a huge fan and, and still be a huge advocate for the work that the club's doing. And lastly, I guess 
if you had the opportunity now to speak directly to our listeners, the members, do you have uh, like an elevator pitch in mind? What would you say to them? Well, look, I'd say that at this point, stability and unity is hugely important. If you look back over all the times when we've been successful as a club, it's all been supported by periods of stability and unity. And working together is how I operate. Uh, and so I think just hugely important to let the board get on with the very important job they're doing and delivering uh, the strategy around AFL, the strategy around AFLW. We've got that Kennedy Centre just build uh, and we've got a, a lot of work to do. Um, you know, I'd like to think that the, the members will support that stability and unity uh, and allow us to get on with that job. Well, Katie, from both of us here at the uh, Hawk Talk podcast, and on behalf of all our listeners, thank you for your time and good luck. Thanks very much, Nick. Thanks, Jesus. It was great to chat today. Well, a real pleasure to have Katie Hudson on the podcast. A massive thanks to her for, for giving her time and uh, making her pitch to members effectively. Uh, yes, I, I have some uh, finance issues personally that I'd like her to be in charge of. So, uh... <laughs> there you go. That's a Zoom call for another time. Uh, that was good fun. I, I especially enjoyed uh, Don Scott's appearance in the middle of that. Yeah, nice sprinkling of some anecdotes there. Very much appreciated that. Uh, it was a very fun interview and a very insightful one. And I, I think it will um, it'll be good for members ahead of this election. Of course, as they're listening to this, I believe voting is open. So they've got a choice to make. And uh, the best way to inform that choice is to uh, to listen to our election coverage. And if you enjoy what we do, uh, and you might be listening via Apple Podcasts, of course, you can leave us a rating or a review on there. It really helps attract other Hawks fans to the show by doing that if you if you leave us a glowing review. So we'd appreciate that. Of course, we're all over social media, Twitter, twitter.com slash hawktalkpod, Facebook, facebook.com slash hawktalkpod. We're over on Instagram as well. We've got merch on Redbubble. But of course, we need to thank our proud, passionate and paid up Patreon fans. Uh, they've subscribed to the show and really shown us a great deal of support and they help make things like this possible. Patreon.com slash hawktalkpod is where you want to go if you want to support our show, if you like what we do and you want to chuck us a bit of coin and you'll get some sweet, sweet bonus content in return. Uh, but the real stuff starts soon, Nick. Uh, the real choices from the draft. <laughs> well, it's a little bit lighter, isn't it? All this election stuff, it is very important, very significant, but I feel like we're going to have a lot more fun with the draft. Do you think we should throw the uh, the drafting open to members? That oh, could be boy. a new engagement policy. What do you think? Anyway, we are going to be back for our draft preview. We're going to be looking at some of the most talented prospects that could be plucked from the draft by Hawthorne. Already got a fair few in mind and look forward to talking about those guys. And of course, when it comes to the draft nights, one and two, we will be live on Twitter. But more about that a little bit later. We'll plug that on our socials as well. For now, uh, we are releasing two episodes at the same time on this occasion. So this is our chat with Katie Hudson you just heard uh, we have a chat with James Molino as well one of the other candidates so do make sure you check out that make sure you join us and tune in for the uh, the draft preview and live on draft nights one and two boy isn't this supposed to be the off season aren't we meant to be having a break we seem busier than ever anyway we will catch you soon we are a happy team of Hawthorne.